Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. Well, thanks for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Uh, good evening. It's Pete this it's week. It's Pete. Our BBC correspondent, Peter Ross, joining us there from London. I do know that we are going to be talking about Serbia and Kosovo. They are having a meeting in Brussels this week, all in a bit to improve relations. We know that relations between that Albanian-dominated government in Kosovo and the Serb minority actually have been strained for years due to a troubled history. Put that in perspective for us, Pete, and tell us what's precipitated the latest flare-up? Yeah, I mean, as you say, uh, tensions in that region have been ongoing for, for, for many years, certainly since the conflict that came out of the disintegration of, of the former Yugoslavia at the end of the 1990s. Now, what's caused those tensions to boil over recently is that earlier this month, um, Serbians uh, that make up a small minority of, of Kosovo were, were, came out onto the streets to protest, blockading some streets, uh, out on the streets protesting, all over the issue of license plates. Uh, basically, uh, the Kosovan government, uh, which is dominated by uh, Albanians, um, they said that they wanted everybody in the country to have Kosovo-issued car number plates, car license plates. However, the small minority of, of, of Serbians in Kosovo, they get their license plates issued by Serbia, which is just next door, and they don't want to change. Um, so, yeah, this is, you know, the, the local flare-ups that have, that have happened in the last 20-odd years since the end of the, 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 the conflict, the, the Balkans conflict of the 1990s, you see sort of small flare up from time to time. This is perhaps a bit more serious given the wider context, given what's going on in other parts of the world, we could say following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Europe is looking at this perhaps more closely than it normally would. A little bit of background for your listeners, just to remind them, Yugoslavia broke up in the 1990s. Number of con- that led to conflict in the region. NATO stepped in to help out Kosovo. In 2008, Kosovo declared itself independent. Now, that is that that is recognized by countries like the US, countries like the UK. It is not recognized by every country in the mm. EU, something like 22 out of the 27. On the other side, Russia kind of backs Serbia and does not recognize Kosovo. The same can be said for China. So, you know, thinking about the wider global context for a moment, Ukraine, who supports Ukraine, who supports Russia, mm. you know, when you start to look at it like that, then you can understand why European leaders are paying potential, uh, you know, paying more attention to a dispute about car license plates than perhaps it normally would. Yeah, in fact, Kosovo's president said that Mr. Putin could use Kosovo to widen the current conflict in Ukraine and destabilize the region even further. Yes, exactly that. I've, I've, I've heard that same quote. And again, you've just got to think about, you know, shall we say in, in this era, in, in this current era, you know, things are playing out. And, and with some other stories we'll discuss today, we'll just see how everything is interconnected. You might be on the other side of the world, as it were, us speaking to each other this morning. But things playing out, you know, large political issues playing out in, in your part of the world. We're seeing very similar things in Europe. We're seeing similar things in, in North America, whether that be conflict, whether that be climate. And, you know, the, 
when I say that there's disputed territories and the West backs one side and, and Russia and China, you know, are perceived to back the other, well, we can see that played out in more places than just Kosovo, Ukraine, Taiwan, of course, and various other regions as well. They all seem to be sort of tying together. And, and that's why, you know, global leaders are perhaps a little more on edge than they may have been two or three years ago. Sounds like the Cold War back 30 days ago. Um, let's talk about what's happening in South America and Brazil in particular, Pete, because the Brazilian version of President Donald Trump uh, <laughs> seemed to be wanting to be a Donald Trump if he loses the election. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned Donald Trump. He is referred to as the tropical Trump. Tropical um, Trump, yes. By, yeah, tropical <laughs> Trump by people down there or people over there. Um, and, and yeah, that's because, well, there's a couple of things to say here. Today is the last day you can register in Brazil if you want to run for president. However, it's largely symbolic because we know who the two main players are going to be. That mm. is either far-right president, Jair Bolsonaro, who you've already mentioned, or previous ousted president, uh, Ignacio Lula da Silva. He's, he's, he's you know, a self-proclaimed leftist. Um, so I don't expect any surprises on anyone registering today. We know that the race is coming down to these two. Now, it's, it's, it's important because, you know, obviously we've got the Amazon rainforests in Brazil, um, but also it, it's another one of these sort of international dividing lines. And recently protests have uh, people have been coming out in larger growing numbers in protest around brazil for what they say a defense of democracy and that's because the tropical trump as some have have named him jair bolsonaro has been saying increasingly alarming comments about what he would do if he loses the election mm. he said that you know you might have heard this one before we've already mentioned donald trump but he says that you cannot trust voting machines they're easily <laughs> rigged uh, though he has provided no evidence of, of, of this, you know. Mm. So the Trump playbook coming to play here, you can see, therefore, why it's important internationally, depending which way this falls. Mm. Just how crucial is this election internationally? What sort of repercussions would there be if things go wrong here or if things get messy here? Well, two things. I mean, first of all, as I said, the Amazon rainforest in, in Brazil, that's hugely environmentally important. And Jair Bolsonaro is, has made no secret of the fact that he supports the agricultural and the energy lobbies that want to go in and cut down more of the forest. That, quite simply, is bad for the planet. So if Bolsonaro wins power, you know, large parts of the Amazon are under threat. On the other side, Lula da Silva says that he wants to introduce improved environmental legislation and protections for the Amazon. So there's that. The other thing is just about democracy. You know, um, there are many people in Brazil that can remember when, uh, you know, it's, it's not such a distant mem- uh, memory for them when they were under a dictatorship. And that is something that Jai Bolsonaro has said that he actually thinks is not a bad idea, something that we may have heard out of the lips of President <laughs> Trump as well. <laughs> So, you know, there's environmental concerns, but also about the preservation of democracy. All right, uh, Pete, how's the weather like uh, where you are? (laughs) You know, that's a loaded question, a loaded (laughs) question. British cliches, we love talking about the weather. We could rattle on about it (laughs) all day. Yeah, exactly. And I think... 
And I think the last time we talked, we did exactly talk about the weather, but we talked about the fact that it was a bit hotter here than normal, you know, Britain experiencing extreme temperatures. Now, what I will say is that I also have just recently got back from holiday, and when I flew into London, I, thought I fell asleep on the plane. I thought I'd woken up and the plane had gone in the wrong direction, because as we were swooping into Heathrow Airport, instead of seeing these luscious green fields surrounding, you know, your famous landmarks like Buckingham Palace, Hyde Park, etc., it's parched brown grass mm. just endless fields which is just what you do not normally see in the UK mm. now the knock on consequences of several weeks of high temperature is now the fact that vast parts of Europe um, meteorological societies suggest more than half of continental Europe is now going through drought right. and what we're now seeing is economic consequences of that so if I turn your attention to Germany for example last week their main river, their main tributary, the Rhine, the water levels got to such low levels that cargo barges had to be stopped travelling through certain parts and they suggest that, that is, there's no end in sight to this and things could get worse and that large parts of the, the, the river could grind to a halt. We're seeing that played out in parts of France as well and right around the continent. So, um, you know, extreme weather. And again, as I mentioned earlier on, all these things tied together. I mean, I could talk about extreme weather and droughts in Europe. But we could talk about flash flooding mm. in parts where you are. We could talk about them in South Africa or, you know, what's happening in the States as well. So, yeah. you, know, it's, you know, I think everybody can understand you know, when we talk about extreme weather, that it's a global issue that's affecting everybody. In the case of Europe, though, they have been talking about moving towards renewables. I mean, Germany, a country you mentioned earlier, has its own targets as well. But right yeah. now, resorting to using fossil fuels in the meantime, because of the whole Russia-Ukraine war and the pressures that that conflict has caused, that could only exacerbate global warming. But what's the long-term plan here to cope with the effects of global warming and to prevent further damage to the environment? No, indeed. It seems that in the last, you know, until sort of the, the, the Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the, the, the direction of travel was very much for renew, renewables. Countries around Europe, can, you know, successive governments, you know, saying they're wanting to move towards green energy. They want to move away from fossil fuels, which are bad for the environment, bad for the planet. But there are these short-term solutions now required because of, you know, soaring inflation, soaring energy prices. Right here in Britain at the moment, um, our energy bills have gone up, I think I heard on the news this morning, by something like 120%, and they're set to go up more. You know, just to put that into context, if your average family bill for um, your, your gas and electricity to heat your house and, and turn your lights on um, was £1,000. It's going to go up to £4,000 by the end of the year. So governments need to come up with, some, with something to sort of resolve that. Of course, that is not bad. That, that's not good news for the environment. And I think it's becoming increasingly more difficult for governments to turn their back on it, given the fact that we are seeing the results of extreme temperatures, extreme weather right around the planet. It's no longer as easy to say, well, that is something that happens over there because we're now sitting in Europe with, as I said, the, the lovely green lawns of, of, of Hyde Park are now parched and brown. And mm -hmm. of course, there are more serious consequences as well. It's hard to turn your back on that when you're confronted with it every day. Now, what are the meteorologists saying? Any chance of a respite 
any rain on the horizon? Well, it's funny you should say. Um, here in the UK, I think we're, we're going to be lucky. In fact, I think there are parts of the country already getting a good soaking, as we might say, up the road in Scotland. Um, and, and that's due to extend the curl over the rest of the country. A couple of things to say about that. The weather is less, uh, less optimistic, less rain forecast for large parts of Europe. And the other thing is, you know, as I'm, as I'm sure you know, but if you've gone through an, a, a period of extended heat, then the ground obviously dries up and becomes very hard. And I've heard it described by weathermen on, on, on BBC telly this morning as the wrong kind of rain, because we're going to get a lot of it very quickly. And, of course, the ground can't absorb that. That then means it runs off and it leads to flash, flash flooding. So what we actually need is that traditional old British drizzle that just slowly comes down and slowly soaks up. So, yes, there is rain on the wane, but how much good it will do to actually increase water levels, that remains to be seen. All right, uh, Pete, thank you very much for that. And I guess we'll just have to be more resilient when it comes to the weather. That is uh, our BBC correspondent, Peter Ross, joining us there from London. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg. Or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.